Welcome to the Independent Advisors Podcast, where we dive into the world of stocks, tradable markets, and financial planning with Jessup Wealth Management's Chief Investment Officer, Mark McEvely, and CEO, Matt Jessup. You'll hear tips, tricks, and strategies to address your financial well-being, and most importantly, conveyed in a way that everyone can understand. Here are your hosts, Mark and Matt. Hey everyone, welcome to the 72nd episode of the Independent Advisors Podcast, where Matt Jessup and I, Mark McEvely, bring you everything you need to know from the past week in the world of financial markets and financial planning. So good morning to you, Matt. Good morning, Mark. Um, so we're going to be deviating a little bit from our usual agenda today as we have Jeff Hoagland on from the Dayton Development Coalition. And Jeff, uh, thanks for coming in today and welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Really looking forward to it. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, Matt and I are just going to run through our usual uh, introduction here for uh, a few minutes with listener- listeners. So if you just hang in there with us, we will be right back to you. Absolutely. Um, so as always, we'll take the first few minutes to recap the performance uh, for the month and the year of the major indexes that we track. And these numbers are as of the market close on November 16th, and the data is from Coifin. The S&P 500 index up 10.5% for the month and up 11.94% for the year. The Dow up 12% for the month and up 4.27% for the year. The NASDAQ up 8.41% for the month and up 31.84% for the year. The IWM ETF that tracks the Russell 2000 index is up 14.75% for the month and up 6.04% for the year, the first time that that index is in positive uh, territory since February and March. That's all that. Um, Vanguard International ETF, ex-United States, up 12.14% for the month and up 2.64% for the year. The three-month T-bill currently yielding 0.09%, the two-year Treasury yielding 0.18%, and the 10-year Treasury yield is sitting at 0.88%. So really, really strong month so far here in November, Matt. Absolutely agree. What's interesting to me, Mark, is when you look at that S&P number year-to-date, it goes back to my comments on last week's podcast in regards to missing out on the market trying to time getting out, trying to time getting back in. And you see such a strong move in the first several weeks here of this month. And it goes to show you, this is not a market that is easy to time on a short-term basis. Right, exactly. And I know people are, you know, always nervous at putting their money to work when we're at all-time highs. But to me, that is, you know, all these market indexes making all-time highs and new highs for the month. um, It's not bearish. You know, it's very, very optimistic in my opinion. Um, So just a couple things before um, we get back to our interview for this podcast. Um, I just wanted to bring up to people, Matt, that there is a new bipartisan retirement bill called the Securing a Strong Retirement Act of 2020 being put together in Congress right now. Um, And some of the major changes I just wanted to uh, let listeners know, again, this hasn't been voted on yet, but this is just being talked about in Congress. Um, Some of the major changes would include uh, raising the required minimum distribution age from 72 to 75, eliminating required minimum distributions for those who have IRAs or 401ks with balances lower than 100,000. It would allow employees who are repaying student loans to get a company 401k match if they're not saving actively into their employer-sponsored plan. And then the last thing uh, that stuck out to me here was there would be an additional catch-up contribution to IRAs and 401ks for those over the age of 50. So the current catch-up contribution is for people over 50, 
and that's currently $6,500 extra per year. This bill would increase the catch up to $10,000 extra for those over the age of 60. Um, so that's just something to keep our eyes on to see if uh, that comes to fruition here in the next few months. Uh, second thing, COVID cases continue to climb with some states issuing uh, some stay-at-home orders. And number three, as we already talked about, the S&P 500 is sitting right around all-time highs right now. Um, and with that being said, I had a chart that we will post to the show notes. If you go to jessupwealthmanagement.com, hover over the podcast tab and click the show notes, you'll be able to see this chart. Uh, this was from thechartreport.com by Steven Straza. Um, and this chart is a chart of the S&P 500 over the past 20 years with a breadth indicator below it. And as the S&P flirts with all-time highs, Matt, um, breadth has improved dramatically over the past week. And Steve points out that nearly 50% of stocks within the S&P 500 were trading at new six-month highs yesterday. Um, it's quite rare, I would say, to see this many stocks within the index printing new six-month highs. And we've only seen two prior readings above 45% in the past two decades. And both instances occurred as the index was recovering from major bear market lows. Um, and in a comment uh, in the chart report, Steve said, these type of breath thrusts are typically seen in the early innings of secular bull markets. And again, the last time we saw this was coming off the lows in 2009. Um, and then obviously coming off the lows of the dot-com bubble um, in 2002. So again, small sample size here, but the last two times that this reading has been this bullish, you know, typically has started a multi-year uh, bull market for the, uh, most people. So Mark, two things come to mind on this. First is uh, going to be sentiment, and the second is going to be cash on the sidelines. So what I'll throw out there is, in my opinion, based upon several readings, sentiment is still very poor in the market, meaning people are pretty bearish. Secondly, there's a lot of cash on the sidelines, and I think that's a recipe for this market to move higher in the years to come. Mm -hmm. Yeah. My, my two cents. Yeah. No, I totally agree with that. So um, we will uh, keep people updated, obviously, in the next couple of weeks of what has been going on as we finish out the year here. We're just on the tail end of Q3 earnings season, um, and then before you know it, we'll be in the Q4 earnings season, and it'll be the new year. So. I will. Um, but all right, well, that's enough uh, for me this week. I'm going to turn it back over to uh, Matt for our interview with Jeff. Thank you, Mark. Uh, I'm going to start off. I would like to introduce our guest, uh, Mr. Jeff Hoagland. He's the president and CEO of the Dayton Development Coalition. He's also a fellow uh, Rotarian. I am a recent uh, uh, member of the uh, Dayton Rotary Club. Uh, the coalition um, is the Dayton region's economic development organization, and it's its principal public advocate. So I'm going to give some further background. Jeff's an absolute rock star, Mark, so he deserves uh, a full, proper introduction. So after graduating from University of Dayton in 1991, Mr. Hoagland worked in Montgomery County Community and Economic Development Office for five years. In 1995, he joined the city of Kettering, where he served in various roles, including the community uh, development administrator, economic development manager, and finally as the assistant city manager. In 2004, Jeff joined the city of Vandalia as its city manager, a role that he's held until joining DDC in December of 2010. Jeff assumed the role of president and CEO in June of 2011. So Jeff is actively involved in the Dayton region. He's chairman uh, of the Big um, Hoopla NCAA First Four Local Operating Committee. 
He serves on several boards, including the Wright Brothers Institute, WBI, and the Advanced Technical Intelligence Center, ATIC. He's also a member, as I mentioned earlier, Mark, of the Dayton Rotary Club. In addition, Downtown Dayton Partnership, the Greater Dayton Mayors and Managers Association, Air Force Material Command, CLP, and the Air Force Association's AFA. Not sure how Jeff has time for uh, his family. <laughs> Mr. Hoagland is frequently a guest lecturer in government classes at UD, his alma mater, and Wright State University. He and his wife are also very active with Catholic Social Services, a great organization, yes, it and is. Uh, youth sports. Mr. Hoagland graduated with the BS in political science from the University of Dayton and a master's of public administration from Wright State University. That's my alma mater. Jeff resides in Vandalia with his wife, Jennifer, and their two sons, Charlie and Jake. Uh, Jeff was born and grew up in uh, near the Cleveland area and is the second youngest of nine children. So without further ado, Jeff, we are grateful and honored that you're in our presence today. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me, Matt and Mark. Appreciate it and looking forward to it. Yeah. And the first question, the most important question we have to get out of the way is what's going to happen with the NCAA tournament this year? <laughs> well, you know, that news broke yesterday that they're, um, you know, they're going to go to a bubble type of situation in uh, Indianapolis for the entire tournament, which um, after canceling uh, you know, this past year, I'm glad it's going to happen. Um, we would prefer to start to kick it off here in Dayton, Ohio, but with the situation we're in, you know, everything, we just have to be, everybody has to be flexible and we get it. So we are 100% supportive of what the NCAA is doing. And, you know, what, in our opinions and working with the first four and with the NCAA and UD, um, uh, you know, it's just going to be even greater in 2022 when we get it back. So we had a lot of things planned for 2021, um, but we'll just kind of put them on hold and uh, we'll, we'll get ready for 2022, but we'll be rooting and watching and looking forward to another great season. You know, it's just great, Jeff. We have such great basketball fans here in Dayton. We support the first four so strong. And it's just nice to see that we're going to have that for many years to come, at least through what, 2026? Yeah, 2026. So uh, the NCAA just uh, came out uh, about two weeks ago with their, their new award, and uh, it gave uh, uh, the Dayton community, the University of Dayton, gave us four more years. So it takes us through 2026, uh, and then they'll go through a bidding process again. But Congratulations. You know, yeah, well, thank you. And it's as we Dayton. say, the, the, you know, the, 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 the road starts here. Uh, and that's actually a phrase that we... Um, that we trademarked and that we've since worked with the NCAA to, uh, we both can use that now. Uh, and it worked out well, but we believe that it does start here and all roads lead to Dayton, Ohio. And I think uh, through our conversation today, you'll see how that's in the economy as well as uh, uh, sports. And that's the perfect segue, Jeff. So uh, for listeners, I was blessed to hear Jeff during a weekly Dayton Rotary meeting. He was our guest speaker. And listeners, Jeff was talking about just the Dayton region economically and what the Dayton Development Coalition does for us. And so um, I brought up a couple statistics during a podcast a couple of weeks ago to Mark, and um, uh, we were able and blessed to have Jeff on. So um, let's start off. So Jeff, can you explain to listeners what the Dayton Development Coalition does and how your organization is funded? Yeah, so pretty simple. Um, our organization, we are a regional economic organization. Uh, we're in actually 14 counties, which a lot of people don't know. They hear Dayton, they think we're just we're, we're just in Dayton, but we're, we go up to Wapakoneta, we're in the Butler and Warren County, we go to the Indiana border, Indiana border, and then we go into Clark County. So we have about 1.8 million people in our service area. We were started about 26 years ago from the private 
business leaders who wanted a group just to focus on economic development in Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. Okay. So um, that's how the organization came to be. Um, and we have a group of about 25 people, professionals, that uh, work literally about three quarters of a mile down the street from here. So it was a real short commute uh, today. But our main goal and our mission, it's it's simple. It's to retain, attract, and grow jobs in the Dayton region. I mean, it's that simple. Um, We do it uh, various ways. Um, We are one of six Jobs Ohio regional partners from an economic development standpoint. And Jobs Ohio is the state's economic development private arm. It's the only uh, entity like it in the United States where – the economic development is run by a private nonprofit, which is very similar to our organization. And what I think is even better about this, the new structure, and this was done under the Governor Kasich administration, uh, with the pandemic that we're in right now, states are hurting from a revenue standpoint um, throughout the country. Um, every state is. Um, Jobs Ohio is funded through the liquor proceeds in the state of Ohio. And what happens in good times? People drink. What happens in bad times? They drink People maybe drink more. more. <laughs> um, so Ohio is pish- positioned very well from a funding standpoint on economic development. They're not going to have to cut at all. They've actually expanded it and have rolled out new programs during this pandemic that other states haven't been able to do. And states are going to have to cut funding where Ohio, I think, is going to be able to double down and really come out of this COVID uh, uh, environment and pandemic stronger than ever before. So from a funding standpoint, we get some funding from Jobs Ohio. We get a little bit of funding from the state of Ohio from, uh, for the work we do around the, the military side of things. And then we have uh, about a little over 200 private investors uh, that uh, help our uh, general operations day to day. That's great. So, you know, what really prompted this also is you were providing a lot of economic data to the presentation that you made to the Dayton Rotary Club. And a lot of that data caught my eye, such as how Dayton employment has been resilient when compared to the rest of Ohio. So, Jeff, why do you think that it is this way? Um, And what other economic trends are you seeing that you feel will be noteworthy for our listeners to hear about the Dayton region? Sure. I always say Dayton, uh, from an economic development standpoint, um, we, we, uh, we hit a lot of doubles. So I'm a big sports fan. Uh, and uh, we'll double you to death. We'll get it'll be eight nothing. You won't even know it because we didn't hit the home run. We didn't hit the walk off, but we're 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 consistent. Uh, but over time, and if you look back, I think a couple key things have happened. If you look back to 2005, there was a, a base realignment and closure called BRAC. Uh, and this was the process where the Department of Defense was um, determining what bases were going to be closed and which bases would stay open or which missions would move from one place to another. Uh, and in Dayton, J.P. Nassif, uh, who now runs Jobs Ohio and actually lives here in Kettering, Ohio, uh, J.P. was in charge of the Dayton Development Coalition at the time, and he led the BRAC effort. Uh, and Wright-Pat was a net gainer. So the, uh, the headquarters of the Air Force Research Laboratories is here, uh, the headquarters for um, the Life Cycle Management Center. I mean, we have over 30, now we have over 32,000 employees here. But back in 2005, when that BRAC happened, we had about uh, 19,000 employees. That's a drastic difference, Mark. Wow. Yeah, it, it's huge. And what happened is, so keep in mind, so it was announced in 05, uh, con- about $300 million worth of construction was 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 built on over the next five to six years. So, and keep in mind, so that's 05, Eight, nine, and ten is when our economy in Dayton and the world just crashed. Yes. But what was happening is the uh, the, the employment at Wright Pat was growing up. So we went from nineteen thousand to about twenty six thousand uh, by twenty 
2012. So as the commercial side was coming down, the military side in Dayton was going up. Uh, the spend was going up. We brought in uh, tons of missions from uh, San Antonio and Arizona. Um, so that was one of the big, one to me, one of the big uh, uh, blocks uh, of time that was, was critical. Then the next one was, and once again, this is, I think, Dayton, um, um, NCR left, GM left, Delphi left. So many um, uh, of these major companies were leaving. Um, but what happened is Dayton didn't say, oh, woe is me. This is awful. What are we going to do? They rolled up their sleeves and they got stuff done. You look at what the University of Dayton did. They they, they partnered with the state. They partnered with a, a lot of different people, but they purchased this uh, a, the, a big chunk of land where GM was. The headquarter building is where the University of Dayton Research Institute is now, and you know they're bringing in over a hundred and close to one hundred and ninety million dollars in in contracts from the base. GE built a new R and D center. Emerson built a new R and D center. You look across the street, the old fairgrounds is just it's prime for development. Yep. So we're sitting in our own little innovation hub. You look at GM, you know, that got turned into Fuyao, uh, which now has, you know, 1,500 employees. So um, there were a lot of opportunities where we could, as a community, we could have said, you know, this, I quit. Yeah. But Dayton doesn't do that. You look at the arcade, you look at all the economic development happening in downtown as well. So things are just 70, 75 interchange right now. Yeah. And that's a whole, you know, that's a whole case study in in and of itself from the logistics standpoint. But one of the big things, and that's a great point, um, Matt is, um, you know, 70, 75, the logistics that's out there with Procter and Gamble and Crocs and so many other companies. Um, the Dayton economy is very inclusive and diversified. So when I, when I talk inclusive, uh, what I mean is we have, uh, jobs um, from you know fifteen to twenty dollars an hour doing logistics at Crocs, up to literally um, uh, scientists at Wright Patterson Air Force Base uh, doing missions to get um, the SpaceX up to um, up to the moon and hopefully to Mars and, and beyond into the future. Uh, and we have uh, ranges in in between. There's there's a statistic that shows from a couple years ago that Dayton was the most inclusive growth community in the state of Ohio, where most of the cities were negative, we had uh, a little bit of a positive growth. And one of the positive, the reasons why that positive was there is because the federal market in our community with the VA, with Springfield Air National Guard, but because of Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. So we've been seeing these trends. Uh, One of the things that Jobs Ohio did in 2019, they have nine sectors that they focus on. So uh, automotive, manufacturing, IT, uh, aerospace, um, uh, and, you know, uh, several others. Uh, um, um, but one of the things that they focused on and they saw is a, just a piece that was missing was the federal and military sector. Uh, so they actually, in 2019, they stood up the sector. 2020, we expected to do a lot more in person. We've pivoted and we're doing a lot virtual, but we've rolled out the sector um, statewide. Uh, we've been in Mansfield, Youngstown, Cleveland. Uh, we were in Lima and Toledo yesterday, and, uh, and Jobs Ohio is looking at uh, another growth area, and this whole federal and military sector is a growth sector in Ohio. It's actually one that, if you look at our uh, uh, per capita, um, people per capita, uh, we actually are underserved for the number of public sector federal jobs that we should have. So Interesting. it's a growth market that I don't think a lot of people look at, but those are usually very good paying jobs. And a lot of these jobs, especially like at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, the F-35 program, that's a 50-year program. That's that not going program anywhere. is not going away. Yeah, so that's when, when we talk diversity, 
um, we're here, we're in it for the long run. And that's why I think um, the, the future looks very bright here. I love that. So I've got one last question. I'll turn it over to Mark. It's in regards to some of the economic data. So things like um, unemployment, right? Yes. So during the presentation, what caught my eye, and I don't want to steal your thunder, but it was a higher number for the state of Ohio for unemployment compared to the Dayton region. You want to share some of that information for our listeners? Yeah. And once again, these are numbers that uh, we don't make up. These are you know numbers that we track, but uh, you know coming... Pre-pandemic, we were, you know, once again, Dayton was, we were trending up significantly. And, you know, a report just came out a few weeks ago about, you know, the housing in, in, in the state of Ohio. And, you know, we're in the, one of the top three markets, Cincinnati, Columbus, and Dayton. I mean, that would have not been discussed three to five years ago. It just wasn't, uh, which I think is exciting um, for, you know, everything that's happening in this region. But the unemployment rate was probably around, and it depends, in Dark County, it's usually a little bit lower um, uh, but let's say 4%. As the pandemic hit, everything went up to you know, 10, 12, 15%. Dayton's didn't go up as high. We're actually about five percentage points lower than um, the, the state and the, the national average. And I think, once again, that goes to the diversity that we have in our economy, but also because of Wright-Patterson Air Force Base and the, n- not just the military side, but all those defense contractors. And you know, they're in Beaver Creek. Um, they're in Kettering. They're in downtown Dayton now. And if you were to look back five years ago, we have all these defense contractors that are working and moving downtown or locating downtown. And part of that is because of workforce and talent. Um, there is a, you know, a, a push for workforce and talent, and the companies that get the best are going to continue to be strong, and a lot of them want to be downtown. So um, those are some of the anecdotal reasons, but you can drill down into the weeds and see why this is happening and why there's more to come. Yeah. And I know that one of the major talking points for people have been, you know, Dayton's never going to grow because it's sandwiched in between two major cities, Cincinnati and Columbus. So what would you say to that? Is that something that hurts the Dayton region, you think, or helps it? Oh, it 100% helps us Mm -hmm. Um, from a, and I think that's where you look at the housing as well. Um, A lot of families live in the um, Centerville, Springboro, um, Monroe, Lebanon area, and some are, you know, some of the family uh, members are going to Cincinnati to work, and some are coming to Dayton to work. So we're sandwiched, actually. We're, we're in great position. And then Columbus. I mean, we're an hour from Columbus. We're mm-hmm. an hour from uh, Cincinnati. It's not a long drive. And we have people going into Columbus, and we have people coming from you know the Columbus area to Dayton or Springfield. So we're actually grabbing from multiple markets. And when we're pitching companies, the first thing they ask now, they don't ask about incentives. They don't ask about the, the sites or the buildings that are available. They ask about the talent. What is your workforce like? So, and that was, I mean, four years ago, that didn't happen. Now they're asking about the talent. So we're telling them, here's the date market. But then as we expand to the Columbus market or to the Cincinnati market, we can really almost triple our, our workforce. And, um, you know, that's what, it's a huge asset that we are taking advantage of, as well as we, we do a lot. Our competition and when I say that from city standpoint, um, Washington, D.C. is uh, with the heavy defense here. Uh, the, the cost of living here is so much cheaper. The um, transportation, you know, the traffic um, where people, the commute times, um, the uh, amenities that we have. Um, I have a brother that lives in D.C. and um, what he pays for schools, what he pays for housing and the commute time that he has. Um you know, I'm spending an extra hour in the morning and at night with my family. Mm-hmm. Um, we're doing more uh, on the weekends. Uh, it's just, it's night and day. And with this change to the, um, you know, virtual um, 
work setting. I'll be curious to see once we come out of the pandemic how much we go back to how it was, but what's that new trend going to look like? And I think it's going to be a little hybrid. Yeah. Um, and that's something that we at the Dayton Development Coalition are looking at. That's what Jobs Ohio is looking at. And one of the things we're trying to do is how can we come out of the pandemic faster and stronger than our competitors um, if it's Indiana, Michigan, Kentucky, um, or if it's Chicago, and also recruiting from the coasts because it's so expensive there and people can live here, work here, work out of their houses a lot cheaper than they can in Boston, New York, Chicago, San Francisco. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, Matt, Matt and I have talked about this on the podcast before, but, you know, we already kind of saw this trend of people moving in from the coasts kind of towards the Midwest, like uh, cities like Indianapolis or Columbus even. Um, and I think COVID just kind of is speeding this process up. Um, you know, I think that it would have been, you know, without COVID, you know, over the next five years, I think you would have seen a decent migration. But I think over the next one to two years, you are going to see people moving to these types of places because they're like, listen, if I'm going to raise a family, you know, I can't do this right now in New York City or in L.A. and that type of place. Um, you know, and one of the things that drew me to Dayton was like you said, the cost of living and the no traffic. I'm like, that is, that is music to my ears. All my friends that I graduated UD with are like, you want to, you really, you want to stay here and live in Dayton, Ohio? And I was like, yes, I love Dayton, Ohio. This is my dream place. It's easy to get anywhere in the country really. Right. Um, you know, we're close to major hubs and, 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 you know, I think that more people are going to start to realize that. And if it's not Dayton, other areas in the country, similar to Dayton, um, I think you're going to see a pickup in, in people moving in the cities well, there's, like this. There's a reason. So, um, Matt, you mentioned earlier the I-70-75 corridor, but there's companies like Procter & Gamble and Crocs and others. Um, those are just some of the big names. But they've done their research. They're not going to go, they're not going to locate in a market that doesn't make sense. And Mark, to your point, we can get to 60% of the population in a day mm. very easily. If it's driving, if it's flying, um, whatever it might be. And we're seeing more and more in that. And it's, I mean, it's Columbus, it's Indiana. I mean, it's this, it's this Midwestern portion. And I think coming out of this pandemic, uh, when you look at uh, a lot of these, if it's call centers, if it's, uh, you know, professional companies that um, you can work from home, there's going to be a lot more of that. And it's, you know, how do we, how do we capture that growth and how do we get the people back? Because Ohio is a state, we're not losing population, but other states are growing at a faster clip. So when this next census is done, um, we could lose another congressional seat because we didn't grow as fast as some of the other states. So strategically, Ohio needs to look at how do we, I mean, I'm one of nine kids, as you mentioned <laughs> earlier. We're not, I'm looking at some pictures in the office. I see three kids, <laughs> we have two kids. Um, they're not big families. So mm -hmm. we're, as a state, as a country, we're just not growing. So how do we bring that talent in? And, you know, Mark, to your point, how do we keep the, the UD students here? I yeah. mean, I think about 45% of the UD students um, will stay in Dayton. Uh, I was, my wife and I were fortunate to be two of them. And we tell people all the time, um, you know, Dayton's great. It's awesome. But, mm -hmm. you know, Wright State does a great job of keeping their students. But that's uh, partially because more of them live here, so they right. stay here. They're in the 80s, upper 80s, I think. Um, and so we're working with them that, okay, how can we keep 92% or 93%? Because right. we need that we need that talent. And Ohio State's having the same conversation in Toledo and Baldwin Walls, but we need to keep that young talent here. And 
now might be that time. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think that everything that, you know, you guys have done with, you know, downtown and getting that um, back to where it needs to be to encourage young people to stay here. I think that's huge. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you know, what else, I guess, other than, you know, trying to revamp downtown and encouraging, you know, larger businesses to set up shop here, you know, what else can, can we do or can anyone do to, to try to help especially keep some of these UD students because they're some of the brightest kids out there, I think. And, you know, I might be a little biased and you might be too. Um, but even since I've graduated, I've seen the strides that they make and all the, the, the students that I talk to, at least there from now, I look back and I'm like, wow, I was definitely not as smart as right now well um, i look at what my third grader is learning and what my eighth grader is learning and i'm like <laughs> i don't think i learned most of that until high school yeah <laughs> um, so i do think with technology kids are you know the the youth they are smarter um it's also focusing you know for i'll just say for for the dayton community you know what are our strengths we know um we need science i mean the scientists that we need here and let's talk uh, a simple one um uh, software mm -hmm. um uh, the the number of software engineers that we need uh, for to, to meet the demand of Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, um, it's not just in Dayton. We need UC, we need Ohio State, we need uh, Miami University. But having the businesses tell us what they need, having Reynolds and Reynolds say, "I need this," having LexisNexis say, "I need this," um, uh, a company of twenty, you know, saying, "I need two of these." Uh, that's what we need to get that granular. And that's what mm -hmm. we're starting to do with our companies um, so that we can then work with our, um, our, our two years, our four years, and even our vocational schools. I mean, we have some of the best vocational schools in the, in the country, in Ohio, uh, and especially in Dayton. So it's taking advantage of those opportunities and also realizing that college isn't for everyone. Um, and, and there's lots of jobs out there where you don't need a college degree. You, there might be certificates that you need or, you know, uh, certain uh, techniques uh, that the state of Ohio is helping pay for, that others are helping pay for, and you can make, you know, $70,000, $90,000. I mean, welding, is a, there's a huge mm -hmm. demand for that right now, yeah. and it's just making sure that students understand that that's a good job. It's okay. And that's, once again, that goes back, I think, to the diversity of the Dayton economy. We're pretty diverse. And I think that's what's going to allow us to come out of this pandemic even quicker. Yeah. Yeah. And then really quick, just relating to the pandemic, you know, how do we stop, you know, local restaurants from from shutting down? How do we, you know, manage that? Because obviously, you know, those people are, are dependent on those yeah. jobs for their livelihood here. And we have a lot of local restaurants here in Dayton. It's not, you know, a huge amount of ch uh, chains, especially downtown. Now we've had we have a bunch of great restaurants yes. downtown and bars. And, you know, what what can everyone do to make sure do the best that we can that these these places don't shut down for good? Yeah. You know, and that's a, that gets into a, a, you know, a lot of people like to make that a political question. Right. To me, it's not. It's yeah. common sense. It's, yeah. I mean, the facts are out there. Mm -hmm. Wash your hands, mm -hmm. social distance, wear a mask. Yep. Um, I was at uh, Coco's last week. Yep. And decent crowd, not like, a, not like it used to be at right. lunchtime. Right. But it, we all understand that. But they were doing everything right. I mean, you walked in with your mask, you got to your table. Um, the servers were doing you know, everything appropriately. And, you know, I, I, you know, here we are in, in, in Oakwood and mm -hmm. I'm stopping by Ashley's afterwards. Cause if I don't, <laughs> my staff will revolt against me, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but I'll wear a mask and they'll have a mask on. And mm -hmm. if we just do what is asked, um, I, I really think things will be fine, but I know it's not that easy. Some people, you know, 
don't think it's right that they have to wear a mask, and some people think they do. But you know, the way we're approaching it, it approaching it, and in our office, you know, we're open. Um, we stagger staff. Um, they're in one, some's in one day, some are in another day. Where most people are in two to three days a week. They've enjoyed coming back to work. I think we missed that team environment when we were home in March and April. It's just that that human interaction is needed. Um, but we've been safe. I mean, we're in our offices. We're doing sometimes Zoom calls within the office, in our offices. <laughs> yeah, um, we can relate. Really, yeah, we yeah, do that Which too. is kind of yeah. weird, but you know what? Um, it's it's okay. Um, we are meeting with businesses still, but as I've told our employees, if you go somewhere, if you don't feel safe, if the environment doesn't look safe, then politely decline. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can tell you this, that hasn't happened. Um, the businesses that we're going to and that we work with, they're taking this very seriously. And, you know, back to the restaurants, if we just do our part, I mean, we're getting closer. We know so much more than we did in March and April. Mm-hmm. Um, the vaccines are, they appear to be right around the corner. Um, you know, the distribution of those is a whole nother question, right, right. Um, but we're closer than we were. And I, but I know it's tougher as we're, the weather's getting colder. We've been fortunate that we've had a beautiful um, September, October, November. Yeah, yeah. Um, but we're getting there. I just think if if people just continue to uh, to do the right thing and be safe, uh, uh, the economy and, and these restaurants they should be fine. Yeah. And then lastly, you know, what resources or assistance does DDC provide to businesses already here in Dayton that want to grow and expand? So if you're, a small business comes to you and says, "Hey, Jeff, you know, we really need help here to to try to grow our business and." serve more people? What can you guys offer them? Yeah. So um, what we try to do is we try to be the, uh, the one-stop shop, the quarterback. So if we're working with a company in Dayton or with a company in Beaver Creek or a company in uh, Troy, Ohio, um, you know, one of the first things we do is we always, we bring in our partners at those local levels. So the local economic development partners uh, in our region are, 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 they're so critical to the growth of their existing companies because they know them. I mean, it's, it's like the folks in Oakwood. When they go to Dorothy Lane Market, they know each other. And mm-hmm. when I was in Kettering and now I'm in Vandalia, I mean, the the amount of deals that get done at a grocery store, at a football field, a baseball field, it's amazing. So knowing that our local economic development partners know everyone, it's one, it's working with them. Uh, once we get those calls for an expansion, um, then it's, you know, working with our partners uh, at Jobs Ohio or working with our partners at the Ohio uh, Department of uh, Development Services Agency, uh, ODSA, um, because the companies we work with. So one of the things we, you know, we don't do housing. We don't, you know, like the green, we don't, we, we're not involved in retail. We're not involved in housing, but we're in more of that um, the, the sector type of industries that I talked about before, the manufacturing and the IT and uh, um, the, the automotive and aerospace types of companies. But when we have a project that we're working on, uh, we'll bring in all of our partners. So there might be some funding from a city, there might be some from the county, some from Jobs Ohio, and some from the state. But we try to quarterback that to make it as simple and easy as possible for the company that's here that's growing or the company that's out of state or out of country that we're trying to attract to our region. Great. That's awesome. That's awesome. And then lastly, you know, where can people go to find out more about DDC? Yeah, pretty simple. Um, so we're on Twitter, we're on Instagram, we're on Facebook. Um, our webpage is uh, DaytonRegion.com. It's DaytonRegion.com. Uh, all of our contact information is on there. Uh, and once, and as Matt, as you know, I mean, uh, I, I spoke to the Oakwood Rotary 
this past Friday at 7 a.m. And I, I do that every usually every year or two. But man, you talk about a lively group at 7 a.m. in the morning. They had like 60 people on the call. Love they, that. they did a Zoom. It was fun. We had, but a lot of it is also just word of mouth. And, you know, we are here to just help how we can uh, grow the region and do our part and work with our partners. Well, Jeff, thank you so much for your time today. I view you as one of Dayton's most valuable assets, that in DDC. We appreciate all the hard work that you and your team do for us in this community, and we are forever grateful, and we appreciate your time today, sir. Well, thank you for having me on. It was a true, a true uh, uh, pleasure, and Mark... Um, good luck with your wedding this yeah, weekend. Thank you very much. It's going to yeah. be a, a day that you will, honestly, you will never forget. Yeah, so, so absolutely. Absolutely. So we, uh, you know, we've been through a lot and even this week had to, had to make some more hard decisions, but at the end of the day, you know, we're getting married and that's all that matters. That's so, awesome. um, yeah. So on that note, I will be out next week and Aaron Kramer will be filling in for me with Matt on the podcast. I told Matt initially that I would do the podcast, but after talking it over with my future wife, uh, I don't think <laughs> that's going to be tolerated when we're on our honeymoon. So. I would allow you to do it on the beach with a cocktail. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but anyway, so uh, Aaron will be filling in for me. Um, hopefully he doesn't uh, permanently steal my spot, but if you guys like him better than you like me, maybe we'll have to make it a conversation. But, um, but no, yeah. Thanks again, Jeff. And, um, you know, thank you everybody for tuning in to the 72nd episode of the Independent Advisors podcast. And Matt and Aaron will be back with you all next week. Thank you for listening to the Independent Advisors podcast. If you're interested in hearing more, hit the subscribe button so you can be notified every time a new episode gets released. Feel free to share with friends, family, and follow us on Twitter at Jessup Wealth, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Mark and Matt will continue to share beneficial information on these social media sites. And also check out the podcast tab on their website. That's www.jessupwealthmanagement.com. Here you'll find links to every episode of the Independent Advisors. Have questions or topics you want to discuss on the show? Message us on Twitter, LinkedIn, or send an email with the words, questions, and topics in the subject line to mark at jessupwealthmanagement.com, and we'll talk about it right here on the podcast. Certain sections of this commentary may contain forward-looking statements based on reasonable expectations, estimates, projections, and assumptions. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of future performance and involve certain risks and uncertainties, which are difficult to predict. All indices are unmanaged and are not available for direct investment by the public. Past performance is not indicative of future results. This podcast is provided for general informational purposes only and does not constitute either tax, legal, or financial advice. Although we do go to great lengths to make sure our information is accurate and useful, we recommend you consult a tax preparer, professional tax advisor, financial advisor, or lawyer regarding your specific circumstances. Investing involves risk, including the loss of principal. No strategy can guarantee any objective or goal will be achieved. Advisory services offered through Commonwealth Financial Network, a registered investment advisor.